Boom. And we're back. Perfect. <laughs> back. Um, thank you so much, guys, for coming on. Um, Ken, do you want to? I'll just do a quick introduction, and then I'll just um, and I'll introduce everyone. Um, so, yeah. welcome back to the Pints and More podcast, people. In the studio, as always, you got myself, Femi. We've got Ken. Yo, people. And we don't have Charlie or Jibs with us today, but um, Charlie might jump on at some point. <clears throat> but Jibs has um, some family um, stuff came up. So, But we found some two perfect guests to bring on today. We've got Linda Hayden. Hi. And we've got Yinka. Hi. Thanks so much for coming on, guys. Um, I guess we can just start with like um, a bit of, yeah, if you guys just want to introduce yourselves, kind of like your background and stuff, and then would you like to start first, Linda? Yeah, sure. So my name is Linda Hayden and I am an anti-sexual violence activist. The anti is very important there. <laughs> um, and uh, I, I've been working in the sphere of advocating for victims of sexual violence um, for a number of years now. Um, my background is I, I work as a key account manager, but I also do um, some politics. I'm a general election candidate for the Social Democrats and um, I am a stand up comedian as well. Fantastic. And Yinka? Hi, um, so I'm Yinka, as Hannah just said. Um, I'm currently a surgical intern in Dublin at the moment. So I just finished my medical degree in Trinity College and in my first year working as a doctor. Excellent. Fantastic. Um, I suppose it, for listeners, it'll probably be a bit mad that they didn't hear like a, the regular four of us intro on the banter at the start. Mm -hmm. But I suppose this week is a bit of a different week where we have, we have these two ladies on to give us, to have a bit of a, a discussion, a bit of chat about what's been going on the past few weeks and what's been going on past, to be honest, for for God's knows when really. So we just wanted to give this, give a chance to have the platform and let's let's sort of get into it. Um, so I suppose I think anybody who's been like in who's if you've not been under a rock for the past like a week or so, you'll see that the social media has blown up with a lot of um, women and a lot of people, um, not just women. I, I know we we have to not genderize it. Um, a lot of people coming out with um, sexual um, assault accusations against a lot of people, and people are speaking up about their experiences and stuff like that. So I suppose that is what we want to touch on and that's what we want to sort of hammer home today. And I suppose with Alice and Linda, we just want to hear about, hear from you guys. What is sort of, what is your experience um, with sexual assault and um, sexual harassment and that kind of thing? Okay, so um, just in, in, to give it a bit of context, so we had back in 2017, obviously the Me Too movement started. Yeah. And you had the likes of Harvey Weinstein being called out by people, um, people who were afraid of him because of the power that he held and things like that. And, you know, we, we had a little bit of a Me Too movement here in Ireland. It was very small because we don't have the joy that America has to have First Amendment rights on free speech. Uh, we have very severe defamation laws here so people felt that they they couldn't fully 
they could talk about their experiences, but they couldn't talk about who it was that had done that to them. So um, we had that little movement back then, but something happened on Friday night. Um, we had uh, uh, somebody talking about um, the, the, the kind of the assaults that they suffered at the hands of um, a, a comedian in, in the Irish circuit and um, other women spoke about it as well because they had consolidated and they had compared notes and uh, what happened was uh, this guy actually issued an apology for his behaviour and it opened an floodgate we've had a tsunami of people coming forward and because I, I do an awful lot because I do stand up and um you know like we've been hinting about things like this for a long time uh, where we know that there are problematic people and stuff like that um we had a lot of people coming to me and talking to me about what their experiences were and you know whenever we talk about sexual violence I'd normally get like maybe 50 a hundred or so people come DM you, ask, you know, tell you their story and you mm. say to them, like, what, um, first of all, I'm sorry that happened to you. Second of all, I believe you. And the next question is, what do you need? Um, because very often people don't, they don't know how to react. So, um, and, and what it used to be was people used to say, oh, I, I just wanted to tell somebody I've never told somebody I was too ashamed or too afraid or I didn't think anyone would believe me. This it's a whole different ballgame. <laughs> um, this week we have people saying, well, I want to know if I name my rapist, what are the chances that I'm going to get sued? If I do get sued, what are the chances? Like, what what's going to happen? What does that look like? Um, yeah. I want to talk to a guard. Who do, I, who do I approach? I want to go and I want to report this. I want to, um, I, I need to get some resources so that I'm able to talk about this. Um, or I'm not in a position right now to be able to identify my, my attacker or talk about mine, but is there any kind of a, an anonymous place where I can tell my story? A bit like the shoes when we did, uh, the, we had the repeal of the Eighth Amendment. So that's what's been going on this week. Um, and it's very different to anything we've seen. And um, we've had more people outed from the comedy scene. It's spread to the music scene. There's a whole heap of people not keeping quiet anymore people are yeah. very keen to tell their story and you know there, there may be repercussions for certain people for that um but we have to wait and see what's going to happen because at the moment there's a a tide and um, we're in the middle of the wave and we can't see when it's going to end because there could be more coming behind and um, but it feels very different from somebody who's worked in the sphere for a number of years this doesn't feel like it normally is yeah I come, yeah, I get you. I think it's something I've sort of noticed. So I know you mentioned like the comedy scene, it's spilled out to the uh, music scene. And um, even for us, we're very active in like, um, obviously, um, as black people, we there's the black community as well. So there has been, this has happened in, in our community as well. And it has, there has been pe girls speaking out and different people speaking out about it, which again is brilliant and what sort of spurred this conversation and like even for me i so i'm keen into wrestling and stuff and i always want to follow wrestling news and it's been big there there's like a hashtag speak speak out and um, that's yeah. that's been it's huge there there's been a lot of wrestlers that have been named and st a lot of stories recounted so it's hitting a lot of spheres of society it's hitting all of society really and i suppose that's the key thing that's and that's really important um i suppose 
so for Alice, like what have, what's your, if you, if you, um, if you're able to like touch on it, like how is, what's your experience of it been? How have you found the last few couple of days or just in general, how's, what's your experience with it? Um, so personally, I haven't worked on it, worked with sexual assault in a professional sense, but I have definitely been exposed to it due, just due to like my own personal life. You know, I have friends, many friends, more than should I should have who have experienced um, sexual assault or rape mm. or, you know, some, something along those lines. And, you know, this isn't a new issue. It's been something that's been very prevalent, especially in the black community growing up, you know, even to the fact that sometimes you don't even realize that sexual sexual assault is sexual assault. You know, I think the lines of these things have been blurred so a lot of people have been experiencing these things and they don't realize it until perhaps months later or years later or you know so the last couple of um the last couple of days have been you know i feel like they've been emotionally trying simply because uh, um someone came out with their story and that encouraged a lot of other females or males to come out with their own stories as well and we realized because of that, I have people who are close to me as well, who I know for years, come and confide in me about their own experience. So it was just very, it was very triggering in the sense that like you, like you know something exists, but you don't realize how prevalent it is until you're constantly seeing people around you saying this happened to me and this happened to me, you know. So it has been a difficult couple of days, uh, but I think I'm just glad that people have found the courage to come out and tell their stories and are actually seeking help. Yeah, it's really good. Do you, um, just for both of you, um, just a question. Um, do you think, like if we try and, I know it's probably tough to try and generalize where it stems from, but if we try and come, is it as simple as saying it stems from lack of education of what sexual assault or consent is or is it more than that there's there's a pyramid of it um it starts with the the bottom level tends to be the likes of your locker room talk um mm. sexism uh you know uh rape jokes stuff like that yeah. the very low level and it's 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 a society thing and and they say it's, it's when you get acceptance at those lower levels it it creates a culture that means when you get to the top level, when you get to rape or violent assault and stuff like that, um, people are emboldened by their behaviours being accepted at the lower levels, which means that it it perpetuates. So um, it's it is an educational piece. There's there's a number of different things that you can do to to help to stem it, but it's a society thing, and it is what we would call a rape culture, and it's where. Um, we accept uh, as normal, you know, you're telling people, oh, sure, like he only touched your arse. You're going yeah. don't be worried about it. Or ah, here, like he's he's only drunk or, you know, yeah. or she, you know, she, she, yeah, yeah she, she gets very handsy when she mm. drinks or, oh my God, like, you know, or even going to a comedy club and they, they're making rape jokes and, and people are laughing at it. And if you're a victim sitting there and I can tell you, yeah. Right? Not Nothing funny about what's happened to you. So you, you get a two-tier thing. You get people who get emboldened by their behaviour being accepted. And then you get victims who see this happening and feel less and, and feel that their voice isn't important 
um, but they won't be believed and they will be shamed. And it's a thing that comes together like that, that gives them more power and takes power away from the victim. And we need to change the balance of that. And education is absolutely key on that. Um, but at the moment, what we have is a, a, a society that's sick with rape culture. And unless you see it and you call it out and every time you see it, you call it out, we're not going to fix it because the only thing that's going to work with this is peer pressure and people turning around and saying, well, what do you mean by that? Or yeah. why did you say that? Um, and, and accept not accepting it at the lower levels. Like, I mean, you have the president of the United States talking about, you know, grabbing women by, by yeah. their private parts and it's locker room. Oh, no, it's not. It's an acceptance of those lower levels. And when you get yeah. somebody at that level who's telling victims that they're not going to be believed if they if they come forward and they say that, then you have a real problem in society. And that's what we're trying to, to do to educate people and to change rape culture. And when you use the words rape culture, and I can guarantee you, lads, when you put this out, me saying rape culture, you're going to get dived on by a load of <laughs> No, no, that's not right. Nobody accepts <laughs> rape. Nobody accepts it. Yeah, that's fine. You don't accept it. But you need to understand the, the, the cultural norms of it um, and, and the, the society things that keep it keep it rolling the way that it is. And, and it has a real deep root in misogyny um, and not to gender it, but it does have a deep root in misogyny. Um, so yeah, there's yeah. a whole heap of stuff that needs to be done. Yeah. Yeah. And I. Sorry, Kenny. And I just guess on just um, I yeah that just that answers it perfectly. I think with all the levels, then if yeah, for instance, if calling it out as rape culture in, at all levels is is very much important. Um, I guess Alice, do you? I guess just knowing that we we all kind of came just not too long ago from college and from um from secondary school as well. Do you think calling it out? you know, to, in back when we were in school and stuff, because we know stuff like this does happen in, in schools as well and stuff like that. So do you think calling it out is something that could effectively work in schools as well? Or does does that require something? I think, you know, people take in what they see around them. So I feel like if you see something, call it out. Um, the, the person who is responsible, who is doing that action may not agree with you, but eventually you're challenging, you know, you're challenging them to do better. You're challenging the other people around them to do better. You're making them aware that this thing that they're doing is not right. So whether that person doesn't, even if that person does not change, you're educating others around them, anybody who's present, because they're getting it into their mindset that, okay, no, I can't say things like this. I cannot touch this person in this place. You know, I do not have a right to place my hands on someone else's body without their permission. You know, just little things like that. Subconsciously, they're going to start learning and they're going to start changing their ways. I don't think it's, you know, it's going to fix everything, but I definitely think it is going to um, cause an improvement. I think you need to look as well, guys. Like the, the one thing is that we don't do it early enough. We don't yeah. teach people about that mm. early enough. And I did a thread on this over the weekend on Twitter about as soon as your children are walking, you should be teaching them about consent and body autonomy because one in four children will experience sexual violence as children. And yeah. that is an absolutely shocking statistic that we can't ignore. And if we don't teach them from a very early age that number one, before they put a hand on anybody else, they need to ask permission. And number two, 
the same goes for them. So they don't have to kiss their auntie. They don't have to kiss their uncle, give their granny a hug unless they get asked first, do you want to give your granny a hug? And then they have to go and say, granny, do you want to hug? Yeah. It takes a second and they're not going to think that's weird. There's only us that's going to think that's weird because we're conditioned. And mm. unless we realise that if we don't condition them a whole other way, this is going to keep happening. I'm really glad you said that, Linda, because even in our kind of our culture coming from the black community, it's um, with um, people like uncles and aunties and stuff like that. It's really very prevalent, that issue. And um, especially with young girls in a younger age. And I guess our parents really everything's kind of family, family, you know, they're family. They're just family. You can, you know, don't worry. You can be in the room with that uncle by yourself, at least family, you know. So I'm glad. And I, I know that we have a lot of people listening that are from the black communities. So that point is definitely something I want to. 90 percent of sexual violence comes from somebody, you know, 90 um, percent. Um, that's crazy. Yeah? And based on like my own like just personal experience, you know, what Fanny was saying was was right, it's accurate. It is the aunties and the uncles or the family members, you know, you're thinking they're being a bit too friendly, but you don't want to say anything because you don't want to disrespect them. And that's how it starts, you know, bit by bit. And because you're letting you're giving them that allowance, it's also an enabling you to give people in the future that that allowance as well. You know, it needs to stop early. You need to say, I am not comfortable with this, this is my body. It's just like engraving that in children from a young age like personal yeah. space is a thing you know I think it's so very important and it is it, it's it's there are people out there that are predators okay and and you have to protect everybody from predators mm. as much as you yep. can and very often you can have a situation where um, somebody may not realise that they're being groomed and grooming is grooming is on there on that pyramid of, of rape culture, um, where they'll be coerced into doing things because of a couple of different things. And and the respect thing that, that you said is huge, absolutely huge, because um you're kind of taught to respect other people at your detriment. But the first thing that we need to teach kids is that you need to respect yourself and it's and you have full control over it. And if you don't want to do anything, you're entitled to say no. And that's, you know, the, the respect thing goes both ways. And if you respect yourself, you're actually much more likely to respect somebody else. So we're helping to, to cut it out in a few different ways. There. That's, a, that's a really good point. I think, um, I think one thing I really want to sort of understand a bit more um for me anyway is so obviously there's the whole there's the broad term of sexual assault and then there's sexual harassment and then there's sexual violence and for me i'll i'll be honest like i understand that i understand them but i don't sometimes i don't know the differences and like it's very i think it's for a lot of people it's very easy to not know the difference and not to sort of recognize what the differences are especially for it, especially yeah. for like a victim who's trying to sort of come to terms with i'm trying to understand it so if you could like shed more light so uh, sexual violence um uh, in my work i would always class sexual violence as the um the definition that the savvy report which was a government report um brought out in 2002 that went into the um 
sexual assault and violence um, information. Uh, uh, like it just went and, and surveyed a load of people and came up with statistics around sexual violence. Now we haven't had one since, there is one on the way, but it actually classes sexual violence as the umbrella term for sexual assault, sexual harassment, touching, um, verbal harassment and stuff like that. So sexual violence is actually the full umbrella for it. So even if you're just verbally verbally harassed, you've been a victim of sexual violence in a, in a way, but there's levels of it. Um, and it's very important for people to kind of understand that within the levels, there's, there's different things that are more serious than others. So for example, you might actually have um, consensual sex with somebody, but you may have been groomed or you may have been coerced into that where it's actually not consensual, that you have been manipulated into that position or, you know, um, you might have been unable to consent. So, for example, if you're under the influence of drugs or alcohol or incapacitated or sleep, you haven't been able to consent. So in that case, you're in the, the higher level there of, of you know, rape um, and sexual assault and sexual violence. You're in the, the, the more serious kind of ends of things. Um, then down the lower end, you have harassment. So, you know, if you're walking along the street or, you know, somebody keeps saying sexual things to you or catcalling you and stuff like that. So that that's harassment. Um, and then you have like groping and stuff like that. And the groping is an assault. Um, so, you know, somebody grabs your arse, somebody grabs your, your breasts, um, somebody grabs your junk, whatever, you know, that that's that kind of level. So it kind of starts around the verbal side of it. So um, and other things that are actually covered under sexual violence that people don't think about are like things like unsolicited dick pics um, or, or, you know, unsolicited news. Um, yeah. You don't ask for those. That's the same as flashing and flashing's against the law. <laughs> so, you know, it's it's about understanding that for anything to do with that, there has to be a level of consent there. Um, so, you know, and it's uh, consent doesn't have to be clunky. It doesn't have to be like stiff. It can be really sexy. Like in terms mm. of I'm going to touch you here. Is that OK? Or, or yeah. kiss you now or that kind of stuff, you know, and it, it needs to be um, something that just becomes like second nature. And it's it's not. And that's where you can sometimes have a situation where two people have a sexual encounter and one walks away from it feeling great and the other walks away not feeling so great. And yeah. that's why you have to be really careful with it. So um, I think just to in order for everyone to kind of be on the same page, making sure that everything you do is okay. Is this okay? Hey, you all right with this? I'm going to do this now. Yeah. Make it fun. Make it yeah, sexy. Exactly. Keep yeah. it consistent. So. Yeah. yeah, that's fair. Um, yeah, Alice, do you want to? Um, I was just going to say also with the consent, you know, consent is not a one-time thing. You know, it's not like you consent once and you have a pass forever. Yeah, you know, yeah, you yeah, consent right, each right. step of the way. If you're moving on from one activity to a different type of activity, you have to consent. Make sure you're both okay with it, you know. And also with the whole, with the whole consent thing, you ha always have to make sure that you're both, like um, like Linda said, you're both in your right state of mind, that you're not under the influence of anything, whether it's marijuana, whether it's alcohol, whatever it is, you both have to actively say, yes, this is something I want to do, you know, because like, um, it's people are experiencing different things at a different time. And I feel like sometimes because someone feels what happens to them isn't big enough, 
they almost feel like they don't have a right to be upset over what happened. If someone kissed you without asking, you have a right to be upset with that, just as if someone had sex with you without asking. You know, so I feel like it's very important for people to understand that what they're feeling is justified and there's nothing that's too little. To, to follow on from that, Alice, you're 100% right, because like, I spoke to people over the weekend and um, there was a, a bit of a thing going around as well about, oh, have you ever been groped in a nightclub? And I tweeted about it and somebody DM'd me and she said, I can think of two instances. They happened over 20 years ago, but I can remember them as clear as day. And those were groping incidents. If yeah. someone remembers what you did to them 20 years ago, that had a profound effect on their life. So if you think it's harmless to just go and grab somebody, rope somebody or, you know, lob the gob on them without, without asking, you're actually, you're completely wrong. And people don't understand the effect and the trauma that having, being violated in that way has on people. If it has stayed with you 20 years, it affected you. Exactly. Exactly. I think, and also just with the, like you said, just in the club scene as well, I think that is probably one of the most, it's like a hunting ground sometimes for these kind of people that just want to, you know, you know how they behave it's just ridiculous um um do you think just because i know obviously ireland is a country where we we do love glowing out we do love um going out to the pub and drinking and stuff like that and if stuff like this happens frequently is that is there an issue then to address i don't know club owners and you know ways to you know i know there's stuff that women can do and certain phrases they can say to bartenders but is there more that needs to be done to kind of um just to help that kind of scene because it doesn't seem too great currently in my eyes, anyways. You've got, so UCC do a really good thing called an active bystander um, workshop. Um, mm. That is where people are watching out for certain behaviours and they're trying to watch out for certain behaviours. This is something that if we're able to roll it out into third level, why aren't we able to roll it out earlier into second level? Um, yeah. so that you're teaching people what to look out for because sometimes, and I'll give you an example, a personal example. So I am, a, I'm a victim rape. I was drugged and raped 20 years ago when I was on a weekend away um, with my family and we were staying in a hotel and I got drugged in the lobby of the hotel. My family had all gone to bed. Um, now, one of the only things that I really remember about it is um, that these two guys were holding me up and somebody stopped them from the hotel and said, where are you taking her? And they said, oh, she's locked. We're bringing her to her room. That could have stopped right there. And it did. So if we if we see something and you're a little bit curious about it, question more. Do you know what I mean? And it's yeah. we all have a responsibility to look after vulnerable people. And I, I believe if we're to get on as a society, we can't keep looking to. Well, it doesn't affect me. We have to start looking out for each other. And if if we are more active in what we're saying and what we're doing, or and calling it out um, and speaking out then we will see a big change in, in a lot of the numbers that are out there because the numbers are terrifying. Yeah. And I guess just on the, I guess there, there is, especially in our, in our, um, in our age group and stuff like that in our, demo, our, um, in our race, there is this, um, the, I don't even know how to call it. So between, the, it seems like there's this um, blurring of the lines of consent. Where you, for this, for instance, where you said that two people can go into, you know, go and have sex, and two of them come out completely with different, you know, how they thought that went, and so um, 
and then that just leads to um these this he said she said kind of um situations so do you what is your i don't know like is there an opinion on obviously obviously always believe the victim immediately kind of thing until proven you know um otherwise but um how do we how do we deal with that he said she said where there is no kind of proof i don't know you know is there I don't know. Is it just it simply is just believe the person, and then um, which is what I believe as well. But is there then what do we do with the abuser? Is it is it we just report them and immediately and leave it to the because that is how that is the situation right now with where we have at a standstill and it's weird and it's just I wish there was a bit more that we knew how that gets dealt with and it's I don't really seem to understand how it gets dealt with. The only, yeah, the only way you're going to really deal with that is to make sure that consent is drilled. And I mean drilled into people. Um, because if you are both able to actively and ongoing consent, it, it, mm. engage in active and ongoing consent, then you shouldn't have that issue. So you need to kind yeah. of group. But if you do get to the point of that, um, there are people out there who don't believe that they've done anything wrong. And yeah. I've seen it myself um, where people, they, they're like, I didn't do that. And, and the other person is, well, I did. Um, the, the, the criminal justice system is set up that you're innocent until proven guilty. So there's that. Okay. Um, and you would have to go through the criminal justice system to decide if you can get your case to court, if it's a he said, she said scenario with no other witnesses or no kind of evidence mm. of anything untoward happening, um, it is exceptionally difficult uh, to, to resolve it. You can go down the route of a civil case uh, where you, you sue the other person for damages. Um, there is a... a with the civil case, um, you can take it at any time. It's expensive. Um, I believe that there is legal aid available for um, civil damages cases, but not for civil defamation cases. Um, so you can you can go down that route and let a court decide, um, or you know you can go down the route of something called restorative justice, where um, the two people come together and um, you try and, and, and get to a conclusion where somebody recognises that maybe it didn't pan out how, how, how it should have. It's a big thing in the US and it's something that I will hand on heart say I'm not 100% familiar with um, and I need to do more research on. Um, but it's very, very difficult. It's very difficult and that's yeah. why you have to make sure. And the law is very clear about consent. The law is very clear about consent. If somebody was under the influence of alcohol, they are unable to consent. Um, if you are using alcohol as a defence in a legal case, that will not be allowed um, because, you know, you, you can't, it, it's just not allowed. So the law is, is quite absolute. And there is some more changes coming legislatively through the Law Reform Commission. It is, Femi, it's a good question because... It's very, we need to be we're trying to be black and white with this, but we understand that there are situations where two people can walk away from, from something and one will feel fine about it and the other won't. So um, if you make sure that your consent is absolute, I think yeah. you're not going to be able to get into that situation.
Yeah. Um, I suppose. Yeah, that's a. I suppose that's a. It's a. It's one of those sticky, really sticky situations where. Yeah, just like you said, you saw everybody sort of left, um, sort of speechless, and like we wished we could do more. We wish we could say more, but that that's the sort of situation we've been put like you're put in. I suppose one thing I wanted to know, especially with your, um, with your background as a politician as well, do you think there's more that can be done, um, in this space by um the systems that be and the and the powers that be? Yeah, yeah, and Alice, you probably back me up on this because you probably see it in a, you know, if if you've done any kind of time in a hospital or anything like that, you'll see this kind of stuff. So um, when you have somebody who presents, so we'll we'll take rape as as the example, because it is the most absolute, you know, it's the second worst crime after murder. And, um, you know, we're supposed to, as a society, completely shun um, anybody who rapes people and, you know, it should be full on um, easy for the victim to get their justice because it's the second worst crime. That is not the case. So let's take an example of maybe 100 cases where people are raped. OK, um, 12% of those will report to, to the guardian. OK, and that is very low. And there's a number of reasons why people don't report. One could be trauma. Um, they've gone through so much that they can't actually verbalise it. And very often when you talk to victims, you get this... Um, People talk about releasing the words, can't actually physically say the words. It took me 13 years to be able to say the words I was raped. So um, it is it is exceptionally traumatic. Um, so you can't sometimes say it. And then by the time it comes for you to actually say it, the situation could be that you, you wouldn't be able to find the perpetrators or you wouldn't be able to prove it. Um, so people don't report for a number of reasons. Um, they're maybe not able. They could be in a domestic violence situation. Um, they could, it could be a family member where they're feeling that they can't rip the, par- the family apart to report. So reporting numbers are low. So that's the first thing that needs to be addressed. We need to make it easier for people to report. And how we do that is what we were talking about earlier about changing that rape and that shame culture so that people yeah. feel able to say, like, if, I, if my handbag got stolen, I'd be able to say, Femi, Kenny, Alice, my handbag got stolen. And you guys would be like, oh my God, that's terrible. Oh, are you okay? It's always the first thing, are you okay? Um, and, and be able to talk about that. But if I came and I said that I was raped, like it would be like, we need to change that. So the, the report rates need to go up. Second of all, of those 12%, so out of the 100 cases, we have 12 that have reported, 12 that have gone to the Guardian. Uh, 30% of those will go to trial. So that's where the DPP, they do all their statements, they do the investigation. The guard station passes the file along to the DPP and the DPP then decides to prosecute. 30%. So four out of those initial 100 people, four of them are going to trial. Okay. Of that, 52% will get a conviction. Okay. So, but that's still only two people out of those 100. (laughs) So those are the barriers to justice that we have. So there needs to be a few things that make the system easier to do, because if you're only if you're only likely. Are you going to put yourself through the trauma of reporting and trying to get your justice if you know that you only have a two percent chance of getting that justice? 
you're not going to do it. So we need to change the system so that the system is much more victim centric without saying that the accused is guilty because they are innocent until proven guilty. But we need to make the system easier for 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 victims to um, to negotiate. So we need um, victim liaisons who literally will, will, from the time that person reports all the way through, act as liaison to tell them what the next stage is and what's going to happen um, and what that's going to be. We need legal representation for victims in court because when you go and you report, you become a, a witness for the state. So you no longer have any control over your case. That is all in the hands of the DPP. Um, and, and so what happens then is... If, say, your rapist has raped somebody else before and they've been convicted of that and they then rape somebody else and they are in court for that, you can't talk about their previous conviction, right? Really? No, you can't talk about their previous conviction. But you could put me on the stand as the victim, okay, and you can talk about how many sexual partners I've had previously what my issues are with drugs or alcohol, how much I'd had to drink at the time. You can take my underwear out and pass it around to the jury. You can keep me on that stand for days at a time. And there is nobody there that is able to object to you being treated like that. So we that. And then afterwards, we need support systems in place so that if you do get your justice, that you can get the retribution. You know, there is a... a, a um, criminal compensation tribunal, which is just as traumatic as the actual system for you to get compensation for the crimes that, that you were affected by. So there's three different things there. You've got the actual crime that happened to you, the trauma of the, the legal system, and then the trauma of the trying to get some restitution for it. Mm. None of this is easy for victims. So there's a heap of things that need to change and there's a heap of things that we need to move forward with. The Law Reform Commission is looking at moment um i'm very much looking forward to seeing what they come out with um because i definitely have my tuppence worth to put in on it um, but there's a lot of different things that need to change and you look um australia actually passed a law today stating that victims couldn't be prosecuted um for speaking out about their rapists they had a law in place to say that you couldn't talk about your rape jesus <laughs> Yeah, there's a long way to go. <laughs> there is. There's a lot to do. Yeah, I suppose. God. I suppose that that's a, those legal aspects, and um, that's a really good point on the legal standpoint. I think one thing I want to focus on is sort of the supports. Um, and obviously, you said that, so. There's the restitution support after you go to trial, but even I suppose maybe before that, if or if someone doesn't want to go to trial or doesn't want to sort of speak up, but still wants support and needs support. Like what is, what, what support is out there for people and like, how do they go about um, availing of it? So you have things like the Rape Crisis Network and the, the Rape Crisis Centre, the DRCC, and they are brilliant. There are um, sexual assault trauma units as well. Um, as far as I know, you need to be brought by a guard to those. So, um, they're maybe not potentially open to everybody, but I, I do know that some people have gone to the Satu Centre without reporting. So it depends on your Satu Centre that's nearest to you. Um, so there you would get tested, you would get checked um, if there's any physical 
injuries or anything like that, you get treated for that. You get things like the morning after pill if you need it, if you're a woman. Um, and um, there's loads of different things like that. So that's kind of initially pre immediately after trauma that, that would be the, the first place to go. Um, second is you can go to places like the Rape Crisis Centre and the Rape Crisis Network. Um, and for children, there's a, an organisation called CARI who look after um, children who are victims of sexual violence. So um, there's resources there. The only thing that I would say about them is while they're amazing, um, they're non-government organisations. So they're doing the job that the government should be doing yeah. to provide supports for, for these people. And they're depending on a, a level of government funding and a huge amount of public goodwill um, in terms of, of charity donations fundraisers, stuff like that. Now, at the moment, we have such an issue with sexual violence that there is a nine month waiting list for therapy. Um, and if you are a victim of um, historic abuse uh, and, and you need group therapy, which which tends to work best for um, some of those cases, it can be up to three years. So the resources are limited. And um, very often I kind of I, I, I'm at a loss because um, I know that the expensive, extensive therapy that I had cost me a lot of money um, and, and it all adds up and people sometimes don't have the money to be able to access that level of resources. And Alice, you probably know more about this than I do in terms of the, the resources there and the access to the resources in the health system. Um, it's not always there. I mean, like, I'd like to say that, you know, there is a love of excellent resources in the HSC, but unfortunately, that's, you know, not the truth. You know, like, therapy is present, but again, like you said, it's ridiculously expensive. However, there are some low-cost therapies and um, um, therapists out there. There's also um, there's also um, other services that do, do like, um, psychotherapy and all sorts of that. But again these things it's kind of difficult for the individual to actually seek out unless you go looking you know if you did not go and google okay i need this you wouldn't know where to access the service and for people who have just experienced sexual assault where they're in a state of trauma or you know sometimes getting to these things are difficult so i feel like we need to do more to make these things more present and more accessible like like have people know like okay i'm in health I, there's, I know I can go here and I know I'll be looked after because even with the mental health services in Ireland at the moment, although we're doing our, our, our best and we're doing a great job, n not everyone is being seen and not everyone is getting the help that they do need, you know, but hopefully with time, I'm, this will change. And I think the more we as a society show that um, this, you know, this is a serious issue, the more the government will be willing to put more into it you know, and at least just try and just have that bit extra for people because it's actually unfair. You know, their trauma isn't any less than anybody else's that's on the street. So there's the other thing as well that, um, you know, remember earlier on I said, and if somebody comes and says to you, I was raped, very often families don't know how to deal with that. So there's not actually the support systems there for um, the families to be able to deal with how to talk to the victim or how to speak to them, you know, um, and I've run a, a couple of different things um, a couple of different ex exhibitions and stuff. And I had people say to me, um, oh, you know, my family actually said to me, are you not over that yet? It's been five years. 
Mm. You never get over it. It's, yeah. you, it changes you completely. So yeah. there's, um, there needs to be not just, a, a, you're dead right, the signposting to the support needs to be there. It needs to be easy access, but also it needs to be done in a holistic, a holistic way. And I think family therapy is something, you know, if, if the victims are willing to be open to something we could introduce because we do it for other types. We do it for mental illness, you know, where we bring the family in, we, we teach them how to approach how to approach this and, you know, what to do and look out for signs if if person is, if they see like the condition, if the person is feeling worse or feeling better, just how to approach it in general. So I think there is more that can be done in that area and bring in everybody because it's not just the victim's problem, it's everyone's problem, you know what I mean? So... I just, and just, I just wanted to mention there, just with the sexual assault treatment clinic, um, you know, the victims do have up to a year after they've had been assessed to see whether or not they actually want to take this information and, you know, take legal action. So it's not a thing of they have to decide right there and then. They do, they, they're like, they're, their results are kept for that time. So that gives them time to process, to, you know, seek any additional information in the process if they want to. So that's a really mm. good point to know. That's something that um, a lot of people probably don't know. Yeah. So really good that you mentioned that. Yeah. And just sorry, just of the, you know, have we, what we've said, like the government, there's a lot to do with the government. Is there a lot to do in schools as well? Because I went to an all boys school in primary and secondary school. And I definitely not going to lie to you. I didn't see anything like that for boys. So I don't know about the all girls schools, if they had something like that, where they, school is where it has know. to begin, you know, yeah. school is, you know, you most of who you are is built in those early years, you know, like your whole ideals and your values, they're, you know, they're shaped, they're shaped in those years. So I think we need to start from early on, from primary school. We're all given sex education, but how many people, all you remember about sex education are the horrific pictures you're shown. You don't really remember anything else. You don't learn about yeah. consent. You don't learn about your rights as an individual. You don't learn about contraception. All the things that when you go out into the real world, you see are blatantly in your face these things need to be addressed early on to help prevent all of this and to have like a dialogue created there is a, a bill um the sex ed bill i think it's from 2018 yeah sex ed 2018 um was in progress and had gotten to the stage where it was going to be um, you know, signed off or or going to committee stage um, where they were going to look at it. And it's an absolutely brilliant bill. Absolutely brilliant. It has um, everything in there that you could you could possibly think of in terms of um, teaching consent at a, a, a younger age, um, introducing sex ed properly, uh, making it LGBTQI plus friendly um talking about uh, consent in terms of relationships and not just talking about sex in, in its in its uh, isolation in in about different relationship formats and um, unfortunately because we are now waiting to see what the new government is going to be and what the the, the main parties are going to be within the government um we've been waiting nearly five months now for that so it's been on hold so what i would say is if you're very keen to see a big change in that contact your local TDs and ask them to support the sex ed bill when it comes back to the floor um, and when it gets out of committee stage and to make sure that it gets passed because it is going to be a game changer. Um, and yeah. also there's one of the, the things that they were talking about putting in. Um, one of the, the 
the parts of it that they'd wanted was that it was free, free of religious ethos. So schools couldn't opt out of it um, due to religious ethos. And they, they, the last I heard, they weren't going to go with that. So put pressure to put that back on because it's really important that all schools are given the exact same. If you If you're not given the same level of education on it, then we're still going to run into problems further down the line. Yeah, yeah, that's very fair, I guess. Yeah, well, definitely. I think that's something that's very important to keep an eye, for, eye out for, for everyone listening. Yeah, definitely do try and listen to what Linda said. I guess I just have two questions for both of you, um, I guess, separate. So in the sense, um, Linda, I guess for you first, if... Um, what would your, I guess, your overall advice then kind of to try and summarize to someone who might be listening, who has, for instance, been sexually assaulted or been through sexual violence? And um, um, what would your you know, advice be to them in regards to either how they take action, how they find support and or how they, you know, how they, you know, try and deal with something that it's they're going to carry for the rest of their lives? It seems, OK, you know? so first thing you have to say is I believe you. And I'm sorry that happened. Um, and the one thing that you have to remember is only responsibility as a victim of sexual violence is to heal from the trauma you've been through. You don't owe anybody else anything. So, you know, you would get people who will come and say, why didn't you, why didn't you? No, you yeah. only duty is to heal from your trauma. So if you do that first, okay, and you look to find the resources there to do that first, that's the most important thing. So your rape crisis centre, speak to somebody, talk to somebody, don't be afraid. Um, there, are, there are people out there like me who will help you, you know, feel free to contact me um, on, on, on signpost you um, in the right direction. We're, we're looking at doing something that's a bit more victim centric across not just sexual violence, but a, a load of different things alliance um and you'll have a resource there where you can come you can say what's happened to you we'll signpost you to the various different things that that are happening um or where you can get the resources that you need um the second thing is um if it's in, immediately happened or it's just happened and you're able to um go to a satu center or contact somebody for medical help um, and get checked because you don't know like if you've been through that you don't know what kind of things that have been going on internally. So um, if you can do. Um, and the other thing is um, be gentle with yourself. It's not your fault. Um, and, and you're there because somebody else has put you there. So um, remember that, like I always say victim and survivor and it's the language is really, really important because I've survived my rape and I'm much stronger. Yeah. I glued myself back together really, really carefully. Um, so that I can be strong for other people and I can help other people. But I am also a victim because it is a crime and I wouldn't be a survivor of that handbag snatch. I'd be a victim of a handbag snatch, you know? And I think if you take the perpetrator out, you're in danger of leaving that victim standing on their own because they're there because somebody put them there. So I think um, just be gentle with yourself. It wasn't, it wasn't your fault. Yeah, that's amazing advice. Thank you very much. Um, um, again, and just for you, Alice, um, I'm going to pose you the unfortunate question of how do we deal with rape culture in the black community in regards to family, in regards to, because I know 
the, the, the majority of the victims are young women um, in in family households and stuff like that. And it's very hard. And I know this firsthand. It's very hard for young ladies to approach their parents and try and tell them about, you know, what what happened or this uncle or this person or this person did this. So what would your advice be to these young girls who probably, you know, from all the amazing advice Linda said, who will their parents won't let them or they won't allow them to go and seek out these things, for instance, and they would just tell them it's fine or we'll go to church and blah, 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 stuff like that. I would say, so I used to volunteer for Jigsaw and we always used to have this saying of one good adult. And I feel like that's what applies here because it's very intimidating, especially if you're from a traditional, you know, African family where no one believes you or they just believe that's how it should be. You're a girl or you're a guy, just take it. You know, I feel like finding that one person, whoever they are, that you know you can confide in, that you can trust, that will have your back. And if you can confide in them before confiding in your parents or say, and when you're ready to speak to your parents about it, have them with you, have someone there that you know believes you because it's a lot to come up to someone, especially if it's a family member that has done something to you. It's a lot to say this person did, uh, you know? So I feel like the rape community, the rape culture in the black community is just so deep rooted. It's, I don't like, there's so many influences, there's misogyny, there's religion, there's so many things that we have to tackle within our community ourselves before this thing will just ease up, you know, I don't think it's a, like, we can say we're going to educate, but people have to be willing to educate themselves, you know what I mean, and it starts from just teaching, teaching Understand teaching and understanding that your body is your body and nobody else is entitled to it apart from you. Learning to say no, learning to speak up when you're uncomfortable, you know, learning to seek out help. I think that's one thing that is major, major, major. Like seek out help. It doesn't have to be from it doesn't have to be from a close person. It can be your college counselor. It can be you know an outside therapist. It can be a friend, an auntie. Just because I feel half of the load is just speaking about what has happened. That's like that's one step of the way, and once you can get that out of the way, then you can actually acknowledge, okay, I this has happened to me. What am I going to do next? What steps do I want to take further? But in regards to you saying, how do we bring this up with our parents? How do we? I honestly don't have a straight answer. Again, it's because everybody's family is different. But again, I do go back to my what I was saying about family therapy, and even from when we're talking about educating in schools, even if we're doing, I feel like even if we're going to educate students in schools about these things, we should have sessions for parents and family members to attend so they can have a better understanding of what it is. You know, so so if their child ever does come to them and say, this has happened to me, they're more willing to say, okay, you know, sit down and talk to me about it instead of, oh no, that's outrageous, that can't have happened to you. So it's a tricky one. I don't have a clear answer for it, but I do believe you know, more communication and open dialogues is one step of the way there. Yeah, that's that's a really great answer, especially the idea of, have, you know, providing someone you trust is, and then having them by your side when you do decide to, you know, and just having a supporter by your side is, is a massive help in itself as well. And I think that's, yeah, that's amazing advice. I guess, yeah, I did say it was last question. Sorry, one more question for both, <laughs> for the two of you. Um, these These weak apologies that these people are coming out with are they good are, are they doing are, is it they seem to be doing far more bad than good and also a lot can do, is it 
are any of them genuine? Can we believe some of them are genuine and stuff like that? What is your opinion on these apologies? Do you, if you've been accused of sexual, you know, sexual violence to someone, do you come out and apologize, especially when you're in the, you know, the, you know, the media eye and, you know, you're a bit famous, like we said, with the comedians and stuff like that. And um, these apologies, are they, do you, you know, how do you, if you're genuine, do you apologize? And if you're not, do you not? What What's your opinion on the this whole thing? Because it seems like the majority of them are doing far more bad than good, these apologies. And they don't seem that great to me anyways when I read them. So. <laughs> I, I think I think that when when that victim spoke about what had happened to her yeah. and um, the apology, the, the people noticed it, but they didn't really notice it. The tsunami came when the apology came. Because yeah. apology was very self-centered. Um, it was full of excuses. Mm. And um, if you're going to apologize for something, you actually have to put both hands up and say, I did this and I own it. And not come up with excuses for it. Say, I did it, I own it. And say what you're going to do to do better the next time. Um, and I think there's not just there's not just these guys that are the 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 perpetrators of these crimes who who know exactly and you know he admitted to knowing what he was doing in that apology um it wasn't enough it seemed to me like he realized that the ladies had their receipts and um, and this is purely my opinion he realized that the ladies had their receipts and panicked and worried about what the legal implications would be for him um, and therefore tried to to make restitution somehow to try and minimize that. You can tell if, if an apology is genuine or if it is simply lip service to try and get you out of trouble. Anyone can tell that, a five-year-old can tell that. Um, the other thing as well I'd say is, uh, particularly in the comedy scene, because I can talk about that because I know it, um, there are people out there who have enabled people like that, who have done things um, like gigs for people who are problematic um, who have given gigs to people who are problematic um, and they've enabled them and they owe an apology too. And I think with everything that's coming out of this, I will also be looking to see not only what's coming out of the, the, the mouths of the people who are being accused of these things, but what's coming out of other people's mouths as well. And we've already seen it over the weekend. We've seen some really heartfelt apologies that um, from people who enabled it or who made excuses for enabling it um, at the time when they were called out on it previously. So, and you, you can tell the ones that are genuine. So I would say um, if, if you're going to own it, own it properly. Don't mm. make excuses. Yeah. That would be my, my thought on it. And Alice, what do you... Um, like, I just personally feel like your apology, like, apology is great, but the apology cannot take away the trauma that you have caused this individual. And, and, and also for me, it's about the timing of the apology. Did you apologize once when you realized what you did? Or did you apologize when the, the person spoke out and you're like, I have to do damage control? 
and yeah. it's also like you know for me I, I feel like I cannot accept if, if I was in someone's shoes I wouldn't be able to accept an apology until I felt that that individual had done the healing and the education that I feel that they need because your mindset mm. does not change overnight you know yeah. you can't come you can't be you can't abuse me to, tomorrow and yesterday and come to me tomorrow and saying I'm sorry I've changed I know because it is a process you have it's going to take like time to unlearn all the things you have learned so while an apology is granted there shouldn't be a need for an apology in the first place because it should not be happening and when you do apologize make sure you're apologizing for the right things and like linda said just own it don't make excuses for yourself don't make excuses for the person you did what you did and stick with it and just do better in the future that's it that's that's amazing thank you so much yes i think that's (laughs) a great point to end on yeah um i'm i'm I think for me it's been really educational and it's I think been it's our really most good. important episode Ken without a doubt anyway <laughs> for, <laughs> for sure I think um, in the last few weeks especially with Black Lives Matter with this we've mm-hmm. spoken about some really tough topics but yeah. they needed to be spoken about and they needed to be out there and I would just like to thank both of you guys for thank speaking so, so honestly much. and so candidly about your experience and your opinions on it um, I hope anybody listening um for anybody listening has you've learned something and you sort of gained more than you started with us about an hour ago yeah um for victims as the girls as the um, the women have said like there are so many there is support there for you mm-hmm. and be gentle with yourself and realize that you you have there is something you you have take time to sort of deal with it yourself and accept it yourself and the only so the responsibility you have is to deal with deal with the trauma yourself and you don't have any responsibility to anybody else. Um, for I think, f- especially for guys, um, for females as well, but especially for guys, I think we all have to do better. We all have to, we, especially the, what we said at the start the, with the mm. rape culture and the language, I think we all need to improve on that and call it out. Yeah. S- same way with racism, where we have to call it out and be anti-racist. We have to call this out and be, Anti against any form of sexual violence and sexual harassment and sexual assault and, and, and all that kind of language. Um, I think we'll spot close there again. Thank you to thank you, Linda. Alice and Linda. Thank you, Alice. You guys and Yinka. Sorry, I, we yeah, only, yeah, we we, we switched we, between we, Yinka and Alice throughout the whole. Yeah, they're we gonna know think Alice there was a fourth from, person. From, from <laughs> I'm so sorry. Yeah, we know it from college, okay. so we, no, always, no, no. we always just switch the names. They'll think there was um, a fourth person on the podcast. <laughs> <laughs> Who's this Yinka lady? <laughs> Um, but for sure, some of as a lot of the um, resources that you mentioned as well, we'll try and put them up on our um, yeah. socials. Um, we'll put up the socials for both um, Yinka and Linda as well. Mm-hmm. Uh, as always, guys, thank you so much for listening. Make sure to get involved in the conversation. Um, keep up the conversation and all that good stuff of subscribe and listen to us on Spotify and Apple Music, wherever you get, wherever you can. Um, thank you guys again, and we will see you guys next week. Hi guys. My mind is the ocean Making waves through the clouds Somewhere above me Baby, don't go away Don't stray, don't stray from me My mind is the ocean Making waves through the clouds Somewhere above me Stray
what it is that This has been a production of the Headstuff Podcast Network. 